Recently, for many digital PR practitioners, the shift into digital media relations has had a strict focus on SEO, with results being measured based off of number of placements and even more specifically backlinks on external websites. Now, for the company that hires you to do this, that's great because obviously they have somebody with a skill set that they can leverage to hopefully impact their, their SEO rankings positively. But unfortunately for some digital PR people, that could leave some of you pigeonholed. There's a couple of things I see wrong with this. Number one is being held to aggressive and unrealistic expectations. And secondly, you might be only scratching the surface of A, your effectiveness as a communications professional, but B, where do you go from here? So I'm actually really excited about the guest that we have on today. Her name is Shonali Burke. She's going to give us expert insight into what PR actually is and what you can do with this newfound knowledge you're about to receive. Now, who is Shonali? Shonali is the president and CEO of Shonali Burke Consulting. It's a firm that creates growth strategies to help purpose-driven brands bring ideas to life. She's also the creator of the hashtag MeasurePR and Twitter chat. Honestly, there's so much I could tell you about Shonali and we could probably take the whole episode to tell you every awesome thing that she's done. But a few more things. She's a skim ambassador. If you don't know what a skim ambassador is, look up the skim and I'm sure many of you know who the skim is. And she's also a student ambassador for the Harvard Business Analytics program. As we dive into these questions, we'll get a little bit more of insight into her experiences. And, and as always in our show notes, we'll have links to all the things we talk about. So thanks for joining us, Shanali. Oh, Jackie, it is absolutely my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. And joining me is Britt, my co-host. Say hi, Britt. Hi, guys. Hi, Britt. All right. Let's first talk about Earned Media, and then we can kind of zoom out as we kick it off. Um, but first, keeping in mind that your expertise is within measuring the effects of PR, what are some other ways that practitioners can measure the effectiveness of Earned Media efforts besides number of placements and then we don't even have to talk about SEO unless you want <laughs> well, to. We can talk about it, anything you want to and I might give you answers that nobody will expect. Yes. But... <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> so you know that's such a good question and I'm sure you have I think share the same frustration that I do and have over the years which is well you know we're getting all of these hits and people would keep saying oh you know how many hits did we get and my very dear friend and men or Katie Payne, uh, when she and I would frequently present together, and she would always say to people, HIT stands for How Idiots Track Success. Because, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, we, going back to the day, my friend Jonna Burke, who's, who now is the global manager director of AMAC, she would talk about the third factor, you know, back in the day when we'd have to put together actual physical clipbooks and the, you'd have this. <laughs> Third, if you heard that, you know, you could drop it on the floor and that was supposed to impress your client with, oh my God, look at how many media hits we got. But the point is, of all of our frustrations, is to move away from this and say, well, that is really looking at outputs. That is looking at, you know, it's it's somewhat of a measure of the effort that we have invested in our work. And absolutely, there is so much effort that goes into PR and securing earned media. But what is that resulting in? And so if you think of, you know, the classic buckets of PR measurement, 
outputs, outtakes, and outcomes, you've got to be looking at at least one thing on the outcome front that you can say helps to support business objectives. So if you start to reframe the conversation around success, then you start to get to a whole different level of thinking. And you also then start to open the door to that, you know, coveted boardroom seat at the table. But until you really start flipping the conversation and and really focusing on outcomes versus outputs. And so I would always say when I teach or do workshops, work from the end, work backwards. What are we trying to achieve? Are we trying to achieve a lift in in uh, positioning, in you know thought leadership? Are we looking at trying to support sales in some way? And let's face it, a lot of it comes down to sales and market share. But how is PR doing that? And so if you really think of the end objective that the overall uh, organization is trying to achieve and say, okay, how does PR tie into this? What are we doing that can help to support X, Y, Z and work from there? Then you have a much more, uh, you have a much deeper conversation and you have one that really starts to position you as a business leader, which is which is ultimately who you want to be, I would think, and and who you truly are. That's great. You mentioned thought leadership. How would you measure if somebody is being an adequate thought leader in their space? I don't know. I don't mean to put you on the spot, but that is literally like, what's the metric there? That's that's totally okay. Put me on the spot as much as you like. Ooh, um, okay. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> any, any more and we'll have to turn this into a late night show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's a really, really good question. And yes, that's what a lot of brands and organizations say. Well, we want to increase our thought leader what does that mean? Well, we're going to do white papers and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And it's interesting because I was actually having a conversation with a really excellent research firm that has been doing some very, very interesting research onto specific, you know, areas around. Uh, so I can't say what it is because it's obviously confidential, but you related to current events. And on one hand, it's a business development initiative, but it could also really position them if they share those findings in a mindful way, it could really elevate their thought leadership. So what does that mean? That means what share of attention from specific audiences are they able to generate? So when you start to think of it that way, then you really start to drill down. So you know how in in marketing, particularly, we talk a lot about the funnel and top of the funnel and getting people into the funnel. You really want to start to say, okay, well, we've got everyone, quote unquote, at the top of the funnel, right? But then who, who do we really want to convert into our prospects, ultimately into our customers, and maybe in some of these other key audience segments into influencers, into, you know, other kinds of stakeholders. So you're already then starting to think about who your specific audiences are and not just some random, well, we want to be thought leaders in blah, blah. And then once you do that from an earned media point of view, which now doesn't just mean traditional media placements, but you know, you uh, talked about when you introduced the show about how a lot of PR pros in the digital media world are being tasked essentially with SEO, which is kind of their job also, but not really their job, but it's certainly not only their job, but then it starts to be, okay, well, if we're looking at these specific audiences, then 
what are the different media channels, and note that I said channels, not just media, that impact them? What do they consume? So then that means some element of research. What do they consume and what influences them? That's where your influencers start to come in. And I'm not just talking about Instagram influencers because you may have uh, noted as you know, you and I have been getting to know each other that I've done a lot of work relatively early on in um, in building and motivating community influencers. And then when you start to look at it that way, then you also have to pay attention to the conversation that is taking place in those media channels. That really, again, goes down to keyword research and having an understanding of SEO and SEO techniques is very helpful here. And then saying, okay, if these are the typical conversations taking place in these media channels among these groups of people whom we want to engage with, where do we stand? Boom. That's essentially how to do a social audit. Once you do that audit, you have a baseline because then you know where you stand. And then depending on how you need to be in the conversation or how you want to be perceived as participating in and being instrumental in that conversation, then that is what should guide the tactics that you pull together of which earned media is just one. That ultimately should help build your thought leadership. But with the, the beautiful thing about doing it this way is that you have something to actually measure against. I love that. I'm so happy you brought up uh, influencers, Shanali, because so many times I have clients come to me with this with this idea and I, I love them for their ideas. Don't get me wrong. I, I want to collaborate in that way very much so. And I welcome any ideas that my clients have. But um, so many times they they hear about how popular an Instagram campaign has done for another brand and they get so stuck on the Instagram part of it and I have to then educate them on other channels that our influencers can be found on or those influencers who are influencing their customers and audiences can be are playing on. And I'm wondering what other what are other channels that influencers are hanging out on? I think uh... – Brit, that it really depends on who you want to ultimately reach. And that should really guide your discovery process of finding these influencers. You know, suppose your target audience or the people that you really need to engage ultimately as customers of some kind, you know, and and that could be for a B2B company, for a B2C company, for for-profit, non-profit, ultimately, there's a business purpose, right, um, for your existence. <laughs> you you should be creating something, whether it's a product or service, that is helping to solve a problem for your end user. And I, so I'm using the words end user, customer interchangeably. So it really comes down to, again, really paying attention to what they are saying. Where are they talking? And that's really where you need to focus your attention. So, you know, it. this is kind of something we've talked about since the relatively early days of social, uh, you know, when Twitter was the new kid on the block. Everyone was like, oh, my God, we need to be on the Twitters. And <laughs> we're like, yeah, um, okay, why? And, you know, that's something I did at the ASPCA when, when I ran PR for them back in the day. I was told <laughs> the Twitter equivalent, or maybe not the Twitter equivalent, maybe the Insta equivalent or something, was uh, Oprah at the time. And I kept being told to get get them on Oprah, get us on Oprah. And I was like, why? I understand the glitz value of Oprah, but what is it going to do? How is it going to help 
the brand. And they didn't understand that. And then I rephrased the question and I said, okay, how will this help you make money? And it was bling, 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 because I was talking to development people and then they were like, oh my God, there's a PR person who wants to help us make money. <gasps> oh my God, are the skies falling down? <laughs> and, and so it, it really helped us to kind of deconstruct the conversation into very meaningful terms and then construct our program. So my point in bringing that up is that it's so easy to get distracted by what's shiny and attractive and feels very appealing because quote unquote, everyone is on it or quote unquote, everybody watches it. Well, guess what? There are tons of people who don't do Instagram. There's, you know, what if you're a significant portion of your customer base or your end users are in China? Are you looking at Weibo instead? You know, are you are you paying attention to other platforms that make more business sense for you? So I think it's a very fine line to walk, obviously, because you don't want to offend anyone. You don't want to insult anyone. But really gently coaching your clients or for those of you listening who work in organizations, really coaching, kind of managing up and really gently but but sincerely asking the question, how is this going to help us? Please help me understand how this helps us attain business objectives. What are those business objectives? How does getting X number of Instagram influencers post about your product or service, how does that help? Maybe they have a use case that will show it does help, when, in which case you've been given your answer. Maybe they don't. And so maybe you then suggest something that you want to try, but also do the Instagram approach and then see, you know, what happened? Did one work better or did one not? Um, so, you know, in nine times out of 10, I want to say it's not an either or approach. And, and you just have to kind of try different things and see what works. But if you're tracking and measuring towards, again, those ultimate outcomes that usually will end up helping to shape the conversation. And then you can always say, look, we tried it. Here are the data. The data show us what did or didn't happen. If you still want us to do this because you are paying us money, okay, you are the client. You know, as long as it doesn't go against your ethics is what I would always advise. But could I provide you with some other options? You know, it's a, it's a balancing act and and it is it's a learning process for, you know, for all of us. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's all about A/B testing and exactly. seeing what works and what doesn't work. Alrighty. So I, I do want to go back to SEO because I know a lot of our listeners um, play in that space. I know a lot of my clients are, um, they hire me because they want to increase mm -hmm. their organic search rankings. So I'm really curious, how are you measuring the value of a placement or a link as many <laughs> SEOs say? So first of all, uh, I don't do that uh, because, um, you know, and, and, and I'm in a bit of a different space right now, as I'm sure you know, um, just in terms yes. of where I am at in my career. But when I am engaged by a client to do something like that, I do a lot of strategy and audit and, you know, that kind of thing. But when when we are engaged to um, to strategize and then implement on integrated media strategies, you know, I, I know I'm probably sounding like a broken record, but we just keep focusing on the outcomes. You, you really, really, really have to focus on that because SEO is just another shiny object. You know, those backlinks are just another shiny object. And I can't tell you how many terrible pitches I get, which unfortunately my colleagues in the infomercial and informational product space have uh, helped to generate because this is how they think quote unquote PR should be done. Oh, find a bunch of influencers and suggest 
a different link in, instead of the one that's broken, you know? And it's like, oh my God, please oh. stop this freaking gray hat SEO BS no. because I can see through your yes. hat and I just don't respond. So, so, but I think, you know, if you are able to, again, help reframe and say, okay, we're talking tactics here. Let's talk strategy. What do you want us to do? Do you want us to drive people to a landing page? Do you want us to secure a certain number of signups? Do you want to grow your email list by X percent? Do you want to put butts in seats at a certain event, which now in the age of COVID-19 will be all virtual? Um, what is it that you really need to have happen? And educate me as to how that helps the business. When you frame it like that, and sometimes it takes many, many conversations, but then that's how you put together a multifaceted plan. And then, and I'm sure you already know this, but but uh, perhaps some of your listeners don't. If you combine on a very basic level, Google Analytics goals and campaigns along with tracking URLs, right? That incorporate the UTM code. And you create specific sets of tracking links. You set them up in your Google Analytics. You combine them with your goals, which is tied to that specific outcome that hopefully by this point you and your client have agreed on. Then you it's magic because you can tell exactly where people are coming from. And we did this. You know, we had um, a client that is very, very well known in the education. It's an educational client. And they, they ha have a very well known online branch. They were, they were pretty ahead of their time when it came to um, online education. And they were launching their first ever MOOC. Massive Open Online Course, for those of your listeners who might not be familiar with the acronym. And they came to us and they wanted a pretty traditional media strategy, they were, but they were very analytic savvy. So they also wanted some uh, digital media relations and they also wanted some community outreach among their community partners. So we said, okay. What was amazing about this client was that they gave us access to analytics and they allowed us to, to kind of watch what was happening and they had a certain goal. Uh, for the number of registrants, which was wonderful to me because I was like, okay, I know what number I have to hit. You know, there were obviously, you know, some challenges as there always are with every campaign. And what we realized as we moved through the campaign was that these quote unquote big media hits of which we secured some in some really massive international outlets, they didn't do anything. But when we because we also wanted to do, you know, a second layer of digital public relations. For me, that starts to mean digital events and community engagement. That's really become kind of the, the core of my approach to PR, which is why I developed my social PR virtuoso course. And that's what I've trained and taught on for so long now. What we noticed was that when uh, the client actually had subject matter experts participate in external chats, not even host their own because they were very leery about, uh, you know, participating in something like a Twitter chat because they weren't very comfortable in the medium. So we also engaged in some training around that. Immediately the engagement shot up and we'd get registrations. And so about halfway through, I had a call with the client. They were like, okay, we are not even close to our goal. And I'm like, I know, and I don't like to lose. So could I please provide you with some options here? And so the next day I provided a, you know, a revised strategy memo where we basically flipped the strategy on its head, massively minimized uh, the focus on traditional media and pitching, and really started to focus on niche outlets on the earned media side, 
and digital events and massively also increased engagement in online Q&A forums. And before the campaign ended, one of the best moments of my career was when my client called me and put me on speakerphone and said, Shanali, we have just crossed a thousand registers. I think it was a thousand and eleven or something like that. And by opening champagne in the office. So, so it's, you know, that is something very, very tangible. And so when you're able to move the conversation in that direction, then all this SEO stuff becomes, it goes by the way, and it still works because you've still got that content out there, right? So you're still Mm -hmm. getting your backlinks Mm -hmm. on from your legit sites because you want the from legit sites, as you know. And but but they are all contributing. They're all parts of a whole and contributing to a really strong outcome that has very strong and positive business ramifications. That was something I struggled with at my last job is we owned it at SEO. And we we did a lot of thought leadership activities to get there. We would do like not necessarily white papers, but we would put out like these data studies, etc. But I would say that something we struggled with was connecting our social presence, which to be honest was not great, although we tried really hard, but like tying our social with our thought leadership with branding activities, etc. And I'm wondering for you, I don't know how to do it without a specific example. Maybe we come up with a random industry to use it as an example, but let's say there's a um, a restaurant. Maybe a restaurant's not a great idea, but feel free to use any industry you want as an example. But like, how do you approach making sure that all of these different marketing channels tie together into one unified voice? That is a really good question. And I think it speaks to a lot of the challenges that practitioners face in many disciplines in the, you know, in the marketing spectrum. Um, and I think it really, what it really means is you've got to really be building bridges internally. You've really got to be talking to your colleagues um, whether you are on the, you know, on the agency or consultant side or in-house, because, you know, the way I have worked with my clients for the duration of my career is really by embedding with them and becoming a part of the team and, 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 and really being clear that, okay, this is about us, not about you or me. Like, what can we do to contribute collectively to your success? What are your success metrics? What do you have going on? that I can help promote or help leverage. Um, Because the more efficient you are, then the more you're optimizing your time and your resources. And you can really then focus on the work that is likely to make a difference, right? I can't think of a specific example, but maybe, you know, the the example I gave you before, because there was also a paid element to it. And so one of the, the team members that I had brought in, because as you know, I operate my consultancy when I do these kinds of engagements as a virtual consultancy consultancy with um, you know pretty high level um, partners and we operate on a virtual model very successfully and so we did have a paid element as, as well but we were always looking at we were looking at the analytics and we were looking at you know what other are the uh, searches pulling up and what uh, we were testing. We were testing ads on Facebook and we were testing images and we were doing all of these things that tend to, you know, be left to quote unquote marketing people. But it's really important that PR practitioners understand how these um, channels and these tactics work. 
because then you can have an informed and an educated conversation with your colleagues even if they're on the other side of the table if, if they're working with the client to to talk with them and understand what they're doing so that you can really leverage it does that answer your question yeah definitely it sounds like to me um to summarize if i'm on a team and I'm equipped to do, or let's say my job is to produce the earned media. Let's say it is just a standalone job. I need to be having these conversations, maybe a meeting regularly with the social media person, with the paid ads person, with the email marketing person. And we come together and we really look at the business goal and figure out how we can together achieve that goal. I'm going to selfishly talk about myself for a second. And (laughs) I think that I could be a good example for listeners that might be experiencing the same thing. Shonali, I am a freelance PR practitioner, I guess you could call me, but realistically, I've been pigeonholed into earning media. To be honest, I would love to expand my skill set. My knowledge of analytics is very basic. I've used Google Analytics when a client or a team member (laughs) helps me, but admittedly, that could use some work. I don't really know much about social media anymore. I went to college for mass communications, but a lot has changed. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are in the same boat that what they were trained on is quite possibly not relevant anymore. And I'm wondering for the PR practitioner that wants to expand their skill set without necessarily going back to school, what advice do you have for them? Uh, first of all, I applaud you on your honesty and vulnerability. I know it's not easy to say what you just said. So kudos to you. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> um, it's a very common thing, believe it or not. I mean, you could look up look up the hashtag digital PR. You'll see it's like there's nothing wrong with SEO. I think it absolutely drives like earned media does drive a purpose, absolutely. right? To and we've seen it firsthand with men, with clients I've worked with and everything. And, you know, it, it, it ties into what you talked about, Shanali, where if you're trying to capture an audience and let's say the audience is a search, let's say you do want to drive from Google and you know what they're searching for, then sure, that is a valid reason to earn media. Fine. But what about, you know, when it comes down to it, what about us? What about the people who have dedicated their life to forming the skill? There's more to life than than that. Like, where do we go? Because maybe somebody maybe somebody in my shoes doesn't want to be stuck working in SEO all their life. So thank you. I appreciate you saying that oh, it's like a therapy session now but I'll let you <laughs> well you know I, I, I do engage in coaching so I can't help it kind of my therapist hat comes out because I, I, I do one-on-one coaching <laughs> oh great so oh, really? yeah I do oh maybe we'll talk later after this yeah, then, but go ahead yeah. I, I don't think you need to go back to school formally necessarily but you know you obviously want to keep your skills updated so if you're looking at things like analytics and there's you know google analytics academy there's a ton there's so many online resources now you know feel free to edit this out if it doesn't sound appropriate but i feel pretty strongly about the online course that i developed precisely for this reason and no tell us about <laughs> okay. it okay what is, what is the online so it's, course it's called the social pr virtuoso master course which i know is a bit of a tongue twister but um some years ago uh 2015 actually i had so at that point i was pretty 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 active on the speaking circuit and training circuit and I love teaching as you know I teach at Johns Hopkins and um, I also help Rutgers develop a a certificate program in in PR which I don't teach anymore and I found that my students at Hopkins and people I spoke with when I spoke at conferences when I did trainings for PRSA and so on they kept asking me the same questions on 
tying social media in, on measurement, on strategy. And I kept going, oh my goodness. And I teach graduate students at Hopkins. Um, and I was like, you know, if people keep asking these questions, I assume that they are not finding the answer somewhere. So perhaps one way to further be of service and also kind of scratch this teaching and, and training itch that I have, because I love to do it, um, as well as, let's be honest, grow an additional revenue stream uh, or build on the existing revenue stream, perhaps I could develop my own course. Because I had done courses for PRSA and IBC and, and so many others at this point. So, so that's what I did. And I ended up creating and launching this uh, program that I I am proud of. And you know, it's taken me, it's taken me some time and and i've had to do a lot of internal work and we're kind of getting back into the therapy space now to own what i built because i as of now really nothing like it currently exists because it's very comprehensive it is literally the a to z of what i call social pr because i got tired of people wanting to slap social over whatever they were doing and just assuming that sending out a few tweets meant they were engaging in social media because the keyword there is engagement. I also am really, really tired of the phrase public relations or PR being constantly equated only with earned media because classically the definition of public relations is building and maintaining mutually beneficial relationships with your publics which means all your audiences, because you could have internal publics as well. Yeah. And it is about relationships, which is what branding is about. That's what marketing is about. That's what sales is about. Sales is the highest, or I should say PR, is the highest form of sales. Because what PR professionals do when they do it well is they sell stories. They sell emotion. They sell the heart of an organization. So that's what, what my course tries to bring home is that it's not one size fits all. There are many different elements involved. A lot of the things that I talk to you about, you know, how to do this, how to do that, all of that is in, included in my course. And it's, it's uh, you know, it, it has brought value to a lot of pros. And I'm really grateful for that. Everything you talked about, especially with the definition of what mm-hmm. public relations is, um, do you recommend that it gets outsourced? It sounds like to me it would make the most sense to keep that kind of thing in-house. But what are your thoughts on that? I think that really it depends on the um, specific situation because it's wonderful when you can do it in-house. You know, like when I was in-house at the ASPCA, as I prepare to kind of, you know, re-engage in my formal career, as it were, I do want to go back in-house at an executive communications level because I just love part of being a team and also you know my life situation has, has changed significantly over the last couple of years and so there are personal reasons that I want to be in a workspace though I do very very well virtually but the reality of a lot of organizations is that they can't afford that you know they're not resourced for that they're not um, they don't have the infrastructure for that and 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 so I don't think there's anything at all wrong with your PR or your integrated marketing being uh, holy or or even partially outsourced, I, I think what is really important is the collaborative element. So, you know, when I design my course, for example, I kind of have this framework that I call the seven C's uh, of social PR and collaboration is one of them uh, because I truly believe that we have to be collaborative. We cannot be combative. We should all be working towards a common goal. And if you can really approach whatever your work is and your ultimate goal is as a team 
then honestly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter with your in-house or, or, or external. There are some things that might be easier, you know, in-house, but honestly these days, and now we are literally living through it, everything is virtual. So it doesn't make, it almost doesn't make a difference right now, right? Because yeah. everyone is connecting through virtual workspaces, which is, uh, which is one of the interesting, um, and unforeseen, uh, perhaps, not perhaps, but definitely positive effects, I think, of, you know, living through a global pandemic that hopefully does not come around more than once a century. Have you ever worked with a client who already had an in-house social or paid social or, you know, email marketing team or whatever it may be? And if so, what are your What's your best advice for collaborating with Absolutely, them? Absolutely, many times, and I love doing that. And so when we start to map out, you know, you know, once we have been engaged, we start to map out what, uh, actually even before we're engaged, like when we are actually mapping out what this work could look like, um, I always ask what their resources are because I want to support those resources. And if I don't have to bring in, I want to maximize their budget. My teams are not super inexpensive because there's, when you hire me, you're hiring a lot of years of experience and and sweat. And, and similarly to my partners that I bring in, I function, I lead the team like I would if I were an EVP at an agency or leading the team in-house. But we are really high-level uh, practitioners and we have certain areas of focus. We have certain areas that each of us specifically loves to do. And so my goal when I'm putting together a team is to really look at what people love to do and what they're really, really good at doing. And let's optimize for that. Let's solve for that. So as part of that process, I always ask the client, okay, we know what needs to be done. We've agreed that to achieve this goal or to make progress towards this goal, these are the elements we're looking at. And that's what you feel comfortable with at this phase of the engagement. Before we look at the team and before we start to, you know, really finalize budget and things like that, what are your resources? What do you have that we can leverage? And would that be okay? Are you willing to let us use what's at your disposal so that you don't have to pay us to duplicate the work that's already happening in-house? When you phrase it like that, you know, maybe in a little bit more of a delicate way, it's, it's, it's never not worked for me. What it also shows, uh, I think it really also shows the client that you really do have their best interest at heart. And that's my goal. I want to do the best possible work. Yeah. Now, if they have three people working on various elements that, you know, we know we can can leverage and, and that I just embed as part of their team. Maybe they don't need me to bring in anybody else. And I'm just the, you know, the strategy lead. I do message development. I do certain amounts of content. I do influencers. I do whatever pieces they need me to do that makes sense. If they don't have certain skill sets in-house or partners that they typically work with, then I'll bring mine in. But I'm very collaborative, you know, even with saying, okay, who are your existing partners? You know, if you have existing relationships, I don't want to jeopardize any of those relationships. Let's use what you already have. And um, and it works. I feel so inspired and so motivated by this conversation. And quite honestly, it's something that was long overdue. I haven't, I, I don't want this episode to end. That is so sweet of you. Thank you very, very much for the opportunity. As a parting thought, I want to say walk through fear. And I know we're getting back into kind of a therapy <laughs> zone, but I think I'm that is really, it. really important, especially right now. There's a certain, there's a certain level of unknowns that we're used to right in in 
PR and in marketing communication. There are certain, yeah, we don't know if that story will actually run. We don't know. But now we literally don't know anything. Everything yeah. has been, it's like, it's like the universe just put all of us in a giant colander and decided to shake it up. Mm -hmm. Right? And yeah. it's freaking scary. And the only way to get through it is to go through it. What does that mean on a day-to-day -day level? It means, you know, doing what you need to do to take care of yourself, breathing, etc. But on a professional level, what is it that's really scaring you right now? What is it that makes you go, oh my God, that, I hope my client doesn't ask me to do that because I have no clue. That's what you need to address. That is how you will stay relevant. That is how you will live your purpose because I truly believe that each of us are here to serve and to fulfill a purpose. And the only way to do that is to walk through your fear. We hope this conversation with Chanali left you feeling as motivated and inspired as we were afterwards. Thank you so much for listening. And if you like this episode of We Earn Media, please subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Until next time.